With baseball's chapter in 2022 closed, the football season is front and center as we look ahead to Week 10 in the NFL, Bills Mafia and the entire league holding their collective breaths on the right elbow of Bills quarterback Josh Allen and what the college football landscape looks like in the next few weeks. Did the Brooklyn Nets listen to yours truly as they officially hired their coach not named Ime Odoka? The Metropolitan Division in the NHL has the Devils and Islanders leading the pack. Don't look now, but college basketball has arrived as well. It's time to get cracking on the latest and greatest of what's happening in the world of sports. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Creeping up to the middle of the month of November, where two weeks from today will be Thanksgiving. But we'll wait for that then. Right now, let's give thanks. Not only that we're alive, we're breathing, but we're winning. And let's see what's happening in the world of sports as you've come to the right place to listen to it all. As this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Now that baseball, which we pretty much talked about for the last couple of months, of course the postseason, the World Series, toward the end of the regular season with my beloved and disgusting Mets, uh, we can finally put all that to bed, and now with the fall and winter sports in full effect, of course the NFL is going to be the main topic leading us pretty much from now up until February. Of course, we're going to have plenty of NBA and NHL, even college basketball. Can you believe that? As that's going to be part of our consciousness. But now that we could take a look as we get toward the second half of this NFL season, and if you listen to me Monday, and trust me, I'm not going to belabor the fact of how awful this NFL season has been to date. The first half will pretty much be put in the books after this upcoming week. With a slate of games that, oh geez, you might as well just start your Christmas shopping or at least start preparing for Thanksgiving because other than two games off the top of my head, which would be Minnesota at Buffalo and then the night game, which has the Chargers going up the coast to play the 49ers. And I don't want to hear Dallas at Green Bay. I don't want to hear some of these other matchups that people may puff their chest out and think that that could be pretty much a savior season or let's see what they're made of type of games. No, I don't want to hear it. Put that aside because at this current moment, the big focal point of at least this NFL season and really this week has to be what's gone on in Buffalo here over the last few days. And if you watch the end of that Bills-Jets game where Josh Allen got sacked and you could see as he was about to throw the ball, the pass rusher was trying to not only reach for the ball, but got his elbow. And I can only imagine, as big and strong as Allen is and trying to get the ball out of his hand and knowing that he started to feel some pain, and as we later found out that it was discovered that he has a UCL injury, and of course, as we all know for 
Baseball pitchers, that is the ACL of your elbow. And knowing that Allen has this injury, and we know what the UCL injury does for pitchers. And granted, we know that as much as Josh Allen is a thrower of the football, we understand that he's not going to throw sliders, he's not going to throw curveballs, he's not going to throw change-ups. So if that's one thing that you can at least exhale for the present moment is that you're not talking about a guy who's throwing a baseball 100 miles an hour over the course of an hour and 45 minutes, two hours, seven innings, and 100 pitches. But Bill's Mafia, Western New York, and I'm sure the offices here on Park Avenue in New York City, they right now are sweating beads on their brow. I'm sure when the news came out about his elbow injury that the oatmeal and the freshly squeezed orange juice did not go down well, not only up in Orchard Park, but of course reverberating throughout the NFL. Because as I talked about on Monday, how awful of a season it's been, how abominable these first nine weeks has unfolded. The last thing the NFL needs is to have number 17, the star quarterback, not only of the Bills, but pretty much of the league, be out for any significant time, and especially when you get into January and February. And we understand that this injury, it's a we'll-see, day-by-day type of situation. We're not going to know pretty much up until game time on whether or not Allen's going to be able to play. I'm sure he's been practicing. Maybe he's been practicing limited with the first team. But one thing for certain is that this is going to be a story that everybody's going to zero in on because if by any chance Josh Allen and this injury is actually worse than what it is and dare I even say that it's a tear. Now that hasn't been revealed. Who knows what the prognostication is. We understand right now it's going to be a lot of rest. We understand that we have to see what's going to happen over the course of these next few days in practice, whether or not he's going to play in a big game against the Vikings as they'll invade Orchard Park on Sunday. But you have to wonder whether or not that if this is going to be something that we could just kind of, not going to say forget about, but maybe sweep under the rug in the meantime, or are we going to have to really pay attention to see how severe this injury is because it's going to impact the rest of this NFL season no matter how you cut it. Because for everybody that's thinking that Buffalo is on the gravy train and the express to, toward a Super Bowl, and for this to now possibly be derailed, maybe for the short term, who knows? But if we do find out that there's a partial tear, or we know there's a strain of some sort, but boy, if Allen is going to be down, and let's say he takes another hit there, or who knows, all it takes is probably a pump fake, or... Maybe just to get knocked on that elbow. Maybe not to the extent to what we saw there at the end of the Jet game. But who knows? Maybe he gets sacked. Maybe a defensive lineman comes around and tries to do that tomahawk to knock the ball out of his hands. And next thing you know, he gets his elbow and it just increasingly gets worse. We're not going to know until we actually see him in a game or if he's going to be shut down here for a couple weeks. And that is going to be a major story moving forward. Because the AFC, as we all know, it's Buffalo, Kansas City. And I don't want to say everybody else because Baltimore has a very good shot to come out of the AFC as we're approaching Week 10. The Bengals, we can't discount them considering they were are the defending AFC champions as constituted. And if you're going to take the quarterback out of center or under center for the Bills, whether it be now, and I would think that you would want to try to get past this now, over the next week or two, and then see where you're at, if that's the case. But you have to really hold your breath if you're a Bills fan or an NFL fan to know that it is uncertain to see what the future and the health of number 17 is going to be now moving forward. And that's a scary thought if you ask me because the league needs him more than anybody right now. And yes, you could say Patrick Mahomes. And yes, you could say a couple of other quarterbacks you could throw in there. But the Bills, with all the expectations and everything that has surrounded that organization over the last two years, losing in the AFC Championship game in Kansas City two years ago, losing in that epic thriller last year in the divisional round. And with the way they started their season this year, 
and all the hype and the hoopla surrounding this team, this would be a gigantic bitter pill if it's actually what we hope it's not or what we could possibly expect. And if that means that elbow injury is going to prevent him from throwing passes, whether it be for a few weeks or dare I say January and February, then this NFL season is going to be one that we would hope to forget. And I don't want to make Josh Allen out to be John Wayne or John Elway or a top quarterback of all time. But we know how important the quarterback position is in the NFL. And obviously without him, boy, it is going to be an empty January knowing that if he's not going to be on the center for whatever reason, because of that elbow, that just is not going to bode well. The other news you have in the NFL this week was Frank Wright getting fired. And you kind of saw it on the tea leaves with the way they performed this year, losing in Jacksonville the way they did, getting shut out week two, that tie against the Houston Texans in week one where they actually trailed and then had to come back to tie. And we all know how that ended, Rodrigo Blankenship. And that was pretty much a sign of things to come because when he missed that field goal in overtime and they actually cut him right after that, you had to know that this could be quite possibly a long season for the Colts. And as it was, even with Matt Ryan under center and a brand new environment for the longtime Atlanta Falcon quarterback, but even that wasn't enough to try to turn the fortunes of this franchise who lost in Week 18 last year to the aforementioned Jacksonville Jaguars and the way they did in that fashion, knowing that if they won, they would have made it into the playoffs. And then now, Reich didn't even make it through halfway in this NFL season. And then your current coach is now Jeff Saturday, who I'm sure you saw on first take throughout your mornings if you watch that show on ESPN. And now he's become the head coach where I understand it's a little bit controversial because you look at Saturday, who is an all-time Colt. We know how much he means to that franchise considering they won that Super Bowl back in 41 when they beat the Chicago Bears. An all-pro caliber lineman, all-time Colt great. And then you push him into the mix where now the owner, Jim Irsay, feels that he has 100% confidence and feels that he is fully capable, his quote, to lead this team to respectability. What does this mean for the rest of the year? Can they turn their fortunes around to make it to the playoffs? It's a long shot because Saturday, part of that controversy is that he has no NFL Forget about even head coaching experience. He doesn't have any assistant coaching experience. Or college. I believe it's the first coach in 60 years that has been anointed to this position where he's had absolute zero experience on any level. And then you want to add in the Rooney rule about how there wasn't a process to be vetted out for an African-American coach to possibly be in the position to run the franchise as far as being a head coach in the NFL. And I get that. This was a hasty decision. I'm sure Jim Irsay, maybe he's going more with his heart than his gut. And it is definitely conceivable as to why the owner didn't go through a bit more of a process where he could have just anointed somebody on the offensive side of the ball or a defensive coach on the team to be the head coach in the interim and then maybe have Saturday or somebody else that was qualified for the job to come in a week or two later. It's not as if this is week 14 where we saw Mike McCarthy get the axe when he was a member of the Green Bay Packers a few years back. So, yes, you could certainly argue that. And why Saturday was the man, Ursay feels that he looks like he's a leader of men and could take over this locker room and try to see if he could right in the ship and get this team in the right direction, maybe not for this year, but for years to come. It's a coin flip. He's going with his heart more so than his gut, or maybe even with his head for that matter. And you only hope for Earsay and for the Colts that they come up 7s and 11s as opposed to Snake Eyes. Because I can't tell you now whether or not Saturday is going to be the guy that's going to lead this team down the road. First of all, they need a quarterback because Matt Ryan... We don't know how much longer he has as far as not only being in the league, but being on this team. Sam Ellinger doesn't look like he's the answer right now. And who knows, that may have been the 
beginning of the end for Frank Reich when he promoted him as quarterback of this team, even with Matt Ryan going down with a sprained shoulder and not knowing when he was going to come back, but considering he named Ellinger his starter for the rest of the year and that didn't sit well with Matt Ryan. So with the Colts, a little bit dysfunctional, they bring in an all-time player. Let's see what he's going to be able to do here in his first go-around as coach in any way, shape, or fashion, but in particular for an NFL franchise. And this schedule for Week 10, I tell you, like I mentioned earlier, might as well start your Thanksgiving feast, start preparing, write down your list, maybe get some of the necessities before you go ahead and buy the stuff that you're going to need to cook days leading up to Thanksgiving. Or even if you want to go online or even attack some of the malls to go shopping for Christmas because this is one to uh, catch up on your sleep or do something around the house, whatever it may be, because this is from hunger. Starting tonight with Atlanta and Carolina, do I need to say any more? And when you look at Sunday's slate, I understand you had the game in Germany between Seattle and Tampa. Is this going to be a scenario where Tampa could turn their season around? I believe they have a bye right after this week. So knowing that they beat the Rams there this past Sunday, and if they could cool off the Seahawks, who have been by far the biggest surprise. I get it that people could say the Jets or the Giants, but knowing that Russell Wilson traded to Denver, nobody knew about Geno Smith, and right now with them being 6-3 and three and atop the NFC West, nobody in their right frame of mind thought that Seattle would be in this position almost 10 weeks into this NFL season. So if Tampa could come out and even their record at 5-5, five and five, come back to the States, get a week off, and regroup and see where they're at when they pick up and where they leave off in a couple of weeks, who knows? Maybe this is something that the Buccaneers are rallying around, knowing that if they could leave Germany with a victory, and also which would be good as far as tiebreakers are concerned, because if Seattle does win the division, same for Tampa, which we would expect, at least... They won't maybe have to worry down the road if they're going to be entrenched in the four seed because Seattle, if they do win a division and they're tied with the Buccaneers, guess what? The Bucs will have a three seed and maybe be able to avoid having to play the Philadelphia Eagles, which right now looks like they're going to be the number one team and will have the bye heading into the middle of January. Still a lot of football to be played. I know the Vikings are nipping at the Eagles heels, but we all know that the Eagles have the head-to-head matchup against them, beating them in week two on Monday night. But I understand that's a game that people are going to look at, considering here in the East Coast, when you wake up 9.30 a.m., pretty much while you're making breakfast, you could watch this game. But even still, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, there's no feel with these London-slash-Germany games and how the crowd is going to react. I get it, it's Tampa, it's Tom Brady, I'm sure they're going to flock to the stadium, but at least you have that to kick off your NFL Sunday, even with the game not being played here stateside. I talked about Minnesota-Buffalo. They're in your 1 o'clock hour. Detroit-Chicago, Denver-Tennessee, Jacksonville-Kansas City, Cleveland-Miami, which a lot of people think Cleveland could go in there and maybe upset the Dolphins with their stout ground game, keep Tua and the high-flying offense off the field. I understand that's saying a lot for me to come out and say that, but we all know the year that Tyreek Hill has had, and not only that, but you know the Dolphins have a three-game winning streak after starting off the year 3-0, and and then with Tua out going 0-3, and then now 3-0 and again, so with 6-3, and and they still have a bye forthcoming, which I believe is next week, who knows if Cleveland could somehow get their season on track to maybe get closer to 500, because we all know Deshaun Watson's coming next month, so... Let's see what Cleveland could do there. But again, not a sexy game or not a game that you're going to keep an eye on, even if you're the casual NFL fan. Texans at the Giants. New Orleans at Pittsburgh. The one fascinating thing about this game, and I'm sure a lot of Steelers fans may not even know, Mike Tomlin, in his coaching career, has beaten every NFL team. The one team he has not beaten is the New Orleans Saints. He is 0-3 lifetime against them. 2010, he lost a Sunday night game where Heath Miller had a big fumble late in the game as they were going for the 
game-tying drive, and ended up losing 24-10, I believe, off the top of my head. It was Sunday night in October. I'll never forget it. They lost a wild shootout 35-32 game at Heinz Field in 2014. And then the last time these two teams met was in the Superdome. That was the game where Juju Smith-Schuster fumbled at midfield. There we go again with receivers or tight ends fumbling the ball late in the game. And if you recall, that's Antonio Brown pointing the finger at Juju Smith-Schuster for losing that game. And that was another wild shootout game. I believe it was, off the top of my head, it may have been 38-35, somewhere around there. Antonio Brown did have a ginormous game at that time. But Tomlin's 0-3 against the Saints. This is his time to finally snap that snide so he could go ahead and be a coach that has beaten all 32 teams or 31 teams in the NFL. Indianapolis at Vegas, Dallas at Green Bay, Arizona at LA, Chargers at Niners, decent game, good game, but not great. And then Washington at Philadelphia wraps up your NFL Week 10. Your buys this week, Cincinnati, New England, the Jets, and Baltimore. So you have, in essence... Four good teams, four teams over 500, not on the schedule this week. And yes, another slog of a week here in a season, as I mentioned before, and one last time, that has been an abomination to date. Now as we turn our attention to college football, after what took place there last week, chronicling Georgia's beatdown of Tennessee, Alabama losing to LSU, and then Clemson getting waxed, by Notre Dame, this week is going to be a lot tamer when we look at the schedule. And the big game, who would have thought this a couple of weeks ago, despite the fact of how well they played this year, the big game is going to be at 7.30, Saturday night, ABC, where TCU is going to go to Texas. And TCU, as it is right now, they are in the top four as far as the college football playoff is concerned. Not only that, but they have pretty much put themselves in good position to see if they could run the table and get themselves to be similar to Cincinnati last year, then making it into the college football playoff, part of that discussion. But the one thing that you have to worry about if you're the Horned Frogs is that the spotlight is now on you. There is no holding back. There is no surprise. You've made it up the ladder thanks to the aforementioned teams losing over the weekend. But now, everybody's paying attention. Everybody's looking at, okay, who is TCU? What is this team all about? Who have they beaten along the way? What can we expect here over the last three weeks and them to win a conference championship in order for them to cement their spot to play New Year's Eve for a right to go to the national championship? And their first stop is at Texas, and then next week you have at Baylor, which isn't going to be easy either, but first things first, a Longhorn team that we know has been up and down, a Longhorn team that, of course, historically we know how big that university is and what they mean to college football and the Big 12, etc., but Texas, you know they're going to do anything and everything to pull out all the stops, to thwart, and to torpedo the TCU season, and this is going to be a, not say tall order, but this is going to be a tough task to see if they could go into Texas Memorial Stadium to keep themselves on the fast track towards playing in that Final Four. And we have to wait until 7.30 to watch this, which is fascinating because you have the whole day to kind of get into the groove. And I get it that it may not be everybody's cup of tea. People can't really rally around or put their arms around TCU because it's not as if they have a bunch of star players. Similar to last year with Desmond Ritter being the quarterback of Cincinnati. But we do have to see what TCU is made of because by far this is going to be the biggest game in this school's history knowing that they have a shot with history, that destiny is in their hands to be that school, to be that team, to put themselves in a good spot that when it's all said and done in about a month from now, that they could be one of the last four teams standing. Can they do it? Of course they can. Do I think they will? Something tells me I think the pressure is going to be too much. Based on everything that I said, people know who TCU is. They know that they 
are now part of this discussion. Now we get to see right in front of our very eyes there on national TV if they could not only beat Texas, but beat them soundly. Because, yeah, if they win by one point, of course, people are going to then start to say, oh, they just barely beat Texas, even though it was on the road, but Tennessee's more deserving, or LSU, even with two losses, is more deserving. Or Oregon, all right, they got waxed by Georgia in week one, but see how they played since then. And look at TCU, they just barely beat the Longhorns, who have been in and out, up and down throughout the course of this year. Come on, that team is not deserving. Not to say they got to go in there and win 40-10, to 10, but if they win a... 31 to 17 type game where they could at least for one week quiet all the naysayers, quiet all the other schools, whether it be in the SEC, whether it be in the Pac 12, for at least one week to say, uh uh-uh, uh, we belong, we deserve to be here, and at least we took care of business against the Longhorns. Granted that it's not the Longhorns of yesteryear with Earl Campbell or even Vince Young for that matter, but still. To me, that's the big storyline going into this college football Saturday. Because other than that, are you going to look at Bama going to Ole Miss? We know Bama's not going to make it to the college football playoff Final Four. And Ole Miss, I'm sure that's going to be a big game for them. And it's going to go long as far as they're going to make it to a bowl game. We know all these teams do, but who knows? Do they think that they could throw their hat in the ring to be part of this discussion when it comes to the college football playoff? I don't think so. And I would say no overall, but the schedule does lighten up here. And as we take a look at the next few weeks, what it's going to really boil down to, people, is the Ohio State-Michigan game, which will be two weeks from this Saturday, how that unfolds. We know that the game's going to be played in Columbus. Ohio State's going to want to pay Michigan back for what took place last year in the big house. And we know Georgia's going to be there, even if they lose in the SEC championship game. They're going to be the team that is going to be part of this Final Four. But after that, whether it be TCU, and even if they happen to lose, you know Tennessee is going to move up in the rankings into the top four. We know that possibly UCLA, USC, LSU, those teams are going to creep up and see where they land here over the course of the next few days. Barring if TCU does lose, and Ohio State-Michigan, we got to wait for a couple of weeks until... One of those two teams is going to get knocked off. But right this very moment, if TCU wins, whether they win by the slimmest of margins, they could trail the whole game and kick a game-winning field goal. They'll probably still be number four out of the top four in the country. But you're going to get arguments from those said regions of the country to where they think their team belongs in the top four based on what we may see there Saturday night. If they win convincingly, okay, we got to shut up for a week. But if not, we shall see. And that's where the injury is going to come in, especially when you have a team like TCU, who is the Cinderella and the Cincinnati of last year, this year. Of course, that's where a lot of the controversy, to a certain extent, or a lot of the storylines, at least heading into this week, it's going to be all about what TCU does down there against Texas. And like I said, other than that, there isn't really much to go crazy about with college football on the schedule this week. I know I mentioned Alabama Ole Miss only because they're two teams that are right on the fringe, bottom of the top 10, and also ranked 11th as Ole Miss. But again, it's pretty much a meaningless game. But for those who are into the SEC and what's going to happen if Alabama maybe possibly gets their third loss of the year, when was the last time that happened? So that's the only reason why I bring it up. But that's what you have there with college football. Let me pivot and put on the high tops as I get to the NBA. And the big news out of the week. No, it's not LeBron James and his groin having to leave last night against the Clippers. But that's something you do have to worry about. Because remember, he hurt that groin. I don't know if it's the same one on Christmas night a few years back. But with the Lakers and how they're in a complete free fall. And if LeBron's going to be out of the lineup at for any Duration, that is just going to be uh, an ugly season in LA no matter how you slice it. I'm sure there's going to be rumors left and right about Russell Westbrook being traded or maybe even Anthony Davis. Who knows what's going to happen with him. But no, that's not the biggest news out of the week. 
The Brooklyn Nets, as I talked about on Monday, being NBA's biggest soap opera. And knowing that it was almost likely that Ime Odoka, the former Celtic coach and the former assistant of the Brooklyn Nets as early as two years ago, was in line to be the next head coach of the Nets. Well, kudos to Joseph Sy, Sean Marks, and the hierarchy over at the other side of the bridge. Because, as I mentioned on Monday, and good for them, they don't have to worry about it, as they took the interim tag off of Jacques Vaughn, and he is now your head coach for the rest of this year and into next year. So he does have, for all intents and purposes, a two-year deal. That was the best thing the Nets could have done. They didn't want to have the specter and the cloud hanging over them if they brought a new Doka, even with his credentials, even with what he did in Boston last year. And who knows, whatever they uncovered and what took place in Boston with the relationship that he had with this woman, was it that ugly? Was it that bad that they knew if they did hire him and it was to be released or revealed to these sports fans and to the American public how bad that would have looked for the Brooklyn Nets, they did the right thing. There is no if ands, buts, and maybes about it. Because could you imagine if they hired this guy, and even if they got off to a great start with the Doka at the helm, how, oh, well, this is what we found out as far as the final few days leading up to training camp with the Doka, with the woman, with the front office, whatever. That just would have been a terrible optic for the Nets, knowing that they brought this guy in, and whatever dirt, whatever... Despicable, I don't want to go as far as saying despicable, but who knows? What was said, what was done, what transpired between Udoka and this woman, and if it would have gotten out while he was a member of the Nets, they would have looked like horses' asses. So good for them by not going that route, and who knows? Let's see if this is going to turn their early season woes around. They did have a big win against the Knicks last night. Kudos to them, because... Even without Kyrie Irving, who I believe still has a couple more games on the suspension, as we talked about there on Monday. And I didn't go fully in-depth on the suspension. He did deserve it. There's, come on, you can't even argue that. But with that aside, and once he gets back, you only hope that Vaughn, who I would think has a good finger on the pulse with this team, that I'm sure they're going to listen to him. We all know he's a former player, went to University of Kansas, been on a bunch of teams here in the NBA, most notably off the top of my head, the Orlando Magic. But he had bounced around, and he's a guy that I'm sure is respected throughout the league, and I'm sure will garner a lot of attention from his players, knowing that he's been around the block, he knows how to run an NBA team, he's been an assistant, he was also an interim on this team a couple years back. Remember when Kenny Atkinson was fired, Vaughn took over as coach of the team. So you would only hope that maybe, if you're one of the 35 net fans out there, that the sun will start to shine in Brooklyn a little bit. And then maybe once Kyrie gets back and he's fully invested in the team, he's not worried about any of these outside forces or posting some of these things that is going to, of course, bring attention to him and then obviously to the team, to the organization, etc. And hopefully they could just play basketball, move forward, and try to get themselves on track to what the eventual goal has been since KD and Kyrie has been brought to Brooklyn is to win an NBA championship. And as I take a look around the league, I know a couple weeks ago we talked about the Bucks and how well they played. I understand they were 5-0 and at the time, and I mentioned, are they the NBA's best team? Well, by record, they are at 10-1. and They did lose a couple nights ago, but now they got themselves back on the winning track. But the big surprise, and I've been not terrible. I have been just downright putrid with these early choices for my over-unders, whether it be in the NFL, now in the NBA, even the NHL, which I'm going to get to in a little bit, and not to get into the over-under numbers, but my point is is that I picked Utah as an under this year, considering they traded away Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, and even if they brought back a ton of draft capital and young players, etc., and with the one-time coach and first-time go-around, I should say, with Will Hardy, the former Celtic assistant, and how this was going to be a new challenge, a brand new environment for an organization that you think was going to have some growing pains, and I'm sure they're still going to come at some point. But how in the hell are the Utah Jazz 10-3? and 
Could somebody please explain that to me? A team that their over-under number was 24 and a half. And they are pretty much 40% towards that total as we speak. I mean, how? What is going? What am I missing here? Am I going to have to start to pay attention to the Utah Jazz moving forward? Laurie Markkinen, has he had a renaissance or a rebirth playing out there in the snowy mountains of Utah? What has been the magic potion that Will Hardy has concocted in order for this team to not only overachieve, but play well above and beyond anybody of what they could have expected or imagined, etc.? All right, a 4-0 start is cute. All right, wow, look at them. They're 5-1. Wow. Okay, it's only 13 games. It's not to get crazy. Watch, we come back at the All-Star break and they're five games under 500. But I'm sure nobody on God's green earth and maybe outside of Utah that anybody expect this team to get off to a 10-3 start. I know I didn't. And listen... By me picking them as an under, I thought they were going to just have a dreadful year. And how could you not think that knowing that they traded away their two best players? And Hardy, who could almost be my son, when you think about it, has his team off to as great of a start as you could possibly ever expect. So give it up. And I got to raise my hand high knowing that I've just screwed the pooch when it comes to that. So now as we take a look at surprises and not surprises, I'm not going to get into the Lakers people. I know I touched on that a little bit with LeBron and his injury. But the Cavs have played well, as we know. Now they've lost a couple of games after losing their first game against Toronto and they won eight in a row. Now they've lost two in a row as they lost to the Clippers and I believe Sacramento last night. But the Hawks have been a bit of a surprise. Now, when I say a bit of a surprise, only because of what they did last year after the success of the year prior. And even with bringing in DeJounte Murray, and that's worked pretty well so far. He in the backcourt with Trey Young. And the Hawks at 7-4. and Got to give it up that they've pretty much have put last season aside. And I'm sure it's all systems go from their perspective. Knowing that they didn't want to get off to that slow start. Knowing that maybe last year was a bit of a fluke for them. Or they were a bit hungover with that success to the... Conference finals where they lost to the Bucks in six. Maybe they read the press clippings a little bit too much for them just to not only get off to that slow start, but to barely make it to the, into the playoffs and they get and then lose to the Miami Heat. But they've done well here so far. So when we look overall here, as far as like surprises and maybe early season disappointments, of course, touching on Utah, as I mentioned, Cleveland, even with them stubbing their toe. The surprises, first and foremost, you got to look at the Golden State Warriors. And who knows if what took place at the end of training camp, I'm not going to say it's permeating to this day, but maybe that has hung over them just a little bit more than what we could have ever thought or even hoped for, for that matter. Because they had a bit of an East Coast swing where they did not win. And even though they won a couple nights ago on the heels of Steph Curry's 47 points. But they certainly haven't come out of the gate like gangbusters with them being 4-7. and And then you also have to look at the Miami Heat as another team that has come out of the gate rather slow. Now, we would think that these teams are going to right the ship. They're going to bounce back. Before you know it, as we get past Thanksgiving and even into December and Christmas, especially Christmas Day with all the NBA games, and that's where despite the fact that you're going to have three NFL games that day, even bad ones at that. And we'll talk about that when we get closer to it. But with the NBA being the springboard for Christmas Day and to really get into the field of the NBA season, as you'll be a couple of months in, by then, who knows? These teams will probably be where they're at at that time, where they'll move up in the conference, they'll level off as far as their records go and get past 500. But... To think that Golden State and even Miami, to a certain extent, have gotten off to slow starts, a bit of a surprise. And remember, these are two of the Final Four teams that were in the NBA when you got deep into the postseason last year. And of course, we'll continue to monitor and we'll continue to follow what's gone on in the NBA. Obviously, with baseball done, and even though football being a majority to start off the podcast, but the NBA certainly will get a lot of love and attention. 
And the same will go for the NHL. And the first thing that comes to mind when we look at the overall NHL landscape is what the hell has happened in the Metropolitan Division. Because going back to my over-under point totals, two of my under-point totals were the Devils and the Islanders. And the Devils currently are 10-3 and atop the Metropolitan Division with 20 points. And the Islanders are just two points behind them based on a bunch of comebacks that they've had over the last few weeks where they came back against Colorado. I talked about that briefly on Monday. But then you had a scenario where they came back against Calgary on Monday night and then two goals down in the third period against the Rangers to score three goals. And they scored the most third period goals in the league to where they beat the Rangers. And what I don't like is that they played the Rangers three times this year. The next will be, I believe, December 22nd, and that's it. They don't play four games against the Rangers? How awful is that? Can we get the NHL schedule makers on the phone to explain why that the Islanders and Rangers are not playing four times, considering they play in the same division and they usually play four times a year? That's a disgrace. And I get it that it's not the 80s where they played six times. Again, there were less teams. But the rivalry factor isn't as big and doesn't loom as large as it did 30, 40 years ago. But to have two long, heated rivals only play three times when they should be playing four, that's inexcusable. But to think they're going to play pretty much a third of their season where the Islanders and Rangers will be done with their season series once you get to Christmas or even before that. So that doesn't make any sense. But the Devils, even though with them bringing in a few big pieces, including Andre Palat, who's going to be on the shelf now for, I believe, an indefinite amount of time with a groin injury, and that's going to be, it's a blow. Is it a big blow? Is he the focal point of their offense? No, but we know the leadership and everything that he brings to the table as far as his experience, his winning mentality, being on those Tampa Bay Lightning teams over the last three years. So that is a player that they're going to miss here for sure over the course of the next few weeks, maybe even months, dare I say. But you got to give it up. The Devils have done an excellent job here under Coach Lindy Ruff, at least to start off their season. And the Islanders, and they got off to a slow start themselves, but now they've turned it around and they've played well. And this is with Matthew Barzal. Think about this, people. A guy who they signed to an eight-year, $73 million deal, whatever it was. Now, he's been very good this year. He has 15 assists. He's averaging, obviously, more than a point a game, but he has no goals. And I've said it before with Matthew Barzell, he's a playmaker. He's not really a goal scorer. Does he score goals? Can he score goals? Yes, but he is not a sniper, to say the least. And it's evidenced, knowing that he has been part of the offense and with this goal-scoring barrage that they've had here, especially in the third periods, but he has not been a part of that here in these, what, first 14 games of the season. Anders Lee is your goal-scoring leader at eight, he being the captain of this team, and the Islanders are getting contributions from various players. And you wonder if they're going to be able to keep that up under Lane Lambert, and we talked about this throughout the summer with Barry Trotz, how they've taken a step back, who have they brought in to this organization to kind of put them at least back to respectability, considering they made it to -to back-to-back semifinals the last two years prior to last year and let's see can they continue to build off this and have a successful season and to be able to play the solid hockey that they've been known for two years prior and get themselves back into the playoffs and maybe have a deep run now it's way too early to even get into that but I'm surprised and I actually like what I see with the Islanders because I expected them to I'm not going to say I have a bad season or a lost season, but I picked them as an under. That's all you need to know. Then you had that horrific injury. I don't know if you saw that with Evander Kane, where he got a skate blade over his wrist and the blood was just, ugh. Not to get all macabre and get into that, but he's going to be out for a few months. And thankfully, he's doing all right. Surgery, he's not going to play for quite some time and understandably so, but that was just a, ugh. That was a horrific injury as Edmonton, they're on an East Coast trip as we speak. The Golden Knights, look at what they've done here to start off their year. I know I talked about the Bruins being possibly the NHL's best team. You could argue that the Golden Knights 
are that team that had the most points in the sport. They're currently 12-2. and two. They actually go to Buffalo tonight, where we even talked about this last year. Check the receipts with Jack Eichel, the former Sabre, who was traded to the Vegas Golden Knights in controversial fashion because of the surgery that he had to get in his neck. And the Golden Knights said, what the hell? We'll push all our poker chips to the middle of the table. They bring in Eichel. Eichel's made a contribution. He's actually done very well this year. Six goals, nine assists, 15 points in their first 14 games. And now he goes back to Buffalo. And if you remember, he was unceremoniously booed left and right. Was even surprised a little bit. Taken aback. He thought, oh, I thought the fans were a lot better than that. Actually said some disparaging things toward the fan base. And I'm sure he's going to get a lot of ritual headed his direction Tonight in Buffalo, I get it. If you're the diehard hockey fan you're following, if you're the casual hockey fan, you're like, ah, who cares? And I'm sure the sports fans probably thinking, who is Jack Eichel? But at least you have a little tidbit tonight, him going back there for the second time, but knowing what had taken place the first time around and how he's had success here, really what you have to look at, if you're a Sabre fan, you should boo their front office because they didn't want to go ahead with the surgery. They felt it was too much of a risk. Vegas said, oh, what the hell, we're going to do it. This guy's worth it. They traded a boatload of picks and players for him. And it's panned out pretty much for both teams since, but you know that the Sabre fan is going to be hooting and hollering at their former player. And I'm sure that's going to be a hostile environment up in Buffalo where Vegas will visit tonight and see if they can continue their winning ways as they have won eight straight games. That's right, eight in a row. And they'll see if they can make it nine even with that hornet's nest that Jack Eichel and company are going to head into tonight there in Buffalo. Besides that, the Jets have played very well. The Winnipeg Jets, that is, not the New York Jets. As they've done well, the St. Louis Blues, they've hit on hard times here. They are mired in in an eight-game losing streak. Who knows if Craig Berube, the coach of that team, is going to be in any trouble. I know he won a Stanley Cup there a few years back, but we all know it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business. So we're going to have to wait and see whether or not the axe is starting to grind for One of my favorites, Craig Berube. So we'll have to pay attention to that. The Penguins, we talked about on Monday. They had lost lost seven in a row, and they won the other night. So they got themselves back in the win column. In fact, it was last night against the Washington Capitals. So let's see if they could turn their early season bad fortunes around to where they could get themselves on track. But the NHL, just like the other sports, in particular the NBA, will pay a lot more attention to now. We understand it's going to be more football. Even college basketball is now part of our consciousness, if you can believe that. And college basketball, we all know, it's a three-week sport when we get to March. And I understand you can also look at the conference championships. Those are also important to kind of set yourself up for what's going to take place during March Madness. But, of course, I can't get crazy with college basketball right now. It's way too early to even discuss or get into Who's going to be one of the top teams? Of course, we could talk about who was the consensus number one coming into this year, and that was North Carolina. Carolina is a team, as we all know, had a great run last year through the tournament under head coach Hubert Davis. They made it all the way to the final before they lost to Kansas, and Kansas has their own things that they have to worry about in-house. Bill Self, the coach, is sitting out suspended four games for violating some NCAA policies. Self has, he's had a bit of a checkered past and a lot of the microscope was under him and a few other schools over the last couple of years. I believe even Louisville also, they are under some penalties and they, I believe they're probably banned. Let me double check that before I even get crazy and think about, or I don't want to talk out of context and when it comes to some of these schools, but I know Bill Self is going to be on the shelf for four games because of some violations there. But we know Carolina is going to be at the top as well as Gonzaga, Kentucky, of course, Kansas. Those are going to be teams that are going to be in the mix here when it comes to the top teams in the country. And how about the Georgetown Hoyas? Break them up. They snapped their 21-game losing streak dating back to last year. Whoop-de-doo, they beat Coppin State. So what? But they got themselves in the win column, so good for them. Let's see what Georgetown could do this year. I'll get into them a little bit later on. Right now, college basketball is not in my consciousness fully. Of course, it's the other sports, and I'm just coming out of baseball, and we still have some free agents to deal with when it comes to baseball in the days and weeks to come. But we can now talk about college basketball, 
And we will certainly have that on my radar in the days and weeks. More so as we get into January, obviously February, deep into February and into March, where we're really focusing on that. But we have to, or at least I have to bring up that college basketball is now here and it has arrived when we talk about the fall and winter sports. So, of course, we have that to sink our teeth into, especially if you're a diehard college basketball fan. Other than that, people, that's what I got. Another episode just about in the books. As always, grateful and thankful for you guys and gals stopping by to listen to yours truly. Wax poetic on everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I'd greatly appreciate it just so we can increase the visibility, as I mentioned at the very top. If you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, you could do so. The J Reels Podcast on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, on Twitter, J Reels One, just the number, and the email address is the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, suggestions, please throw them my way. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, AT is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth goes to the production, the upkeep of the website, equipment, etc. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. This is what I love to talk about. This has been in the blood, in the DNA since day one here on this planet. This is what I love to discuss. My passion, fire, fury, enthusiasm, energy to discuss my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>